Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith With. It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville, Consequence of Sound, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Wherever you're listening from today, go ahead and hit that subscribe button to keep up with all these interviews. And if you can leave a rating or review where you're at, uh, we'd love for you to do that as well. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest is Mike Doty. He of soul coughing fame. In fact, we're talking about the 20th anniversary of the final soul coughing record, El Oso, its big hit circles, and the breakup that happened after it. We get into the 10th anniversary of his solo release, Golden Delicious, which was uh, one of the couple records that he worked with Dan Wilson on. Dan Wilson, formerly of Semisonic. Doty also gives us some pretty interesting scoops here. He reached out to soul coughing about a possible reunion. He's also in a band with Wayne Kramer of MC5. Dig into this. It's Kyle Meredith with Mike Doty. I've sort of been getting to, I don't know, time travel, I, I guess. I, I don't know. I'd never taken the chance because most of the time, anytime I do an interview, it's uh, you know, it's always about a brand new record or something like that. And, right. and I started thinking right. about 98, and it was a big year for me. I was 16 going on 17. In oh, nice. And, and that's a big coming of age year. You know, everything sounds brilliant. Everything. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and and I thought, well, that's a, it's a 20th anniversary. I bet a lot of people are going to be up for it. So the past couple months, I've just kind of been rolling through every record that I loved that came out that oh. year. And using wow. 93 as a crutch as well, uh, you know, for when those make sense for the 25th. But mm. uh, and, and sure enough, you're on the list. So And, and you have two big anniversaries. Uh, album anniversaries. Golden Delicious is 10 years. Right. Not as big of an anniversary, but nonetheless. Well, I probably have more love personally for Golden Delicious than El Oso, oh, but, uh, cool. but that's, that's, 
for different reasons. I don't know, but well, let's 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 jump into this then. We'll um, I usually give uh, people the uh, the uh, the choice. Would you like to start in 2018, 2008, or 1998? Uh, let's start in 98. Let's start 98 let's chronologically upward. All let's, right. Let's not Quentin Tarantino it. <laughs> So, 1998, that's the third and final So Coughing record with El Oso and that iconic yellow cover with the bear dog thing. Because yep, it's, yep. it's, it's actually a bear, right? I mean, that's what El Oso is, bear. Well, yes, but the, but um, the, I kept telling the, the, um, the art directors that the bear is not a bear. I was like, look, the bear, and they started, it was kind of hilarious because they started telling that to people. It's Jim Woodring actually drew that, which I'm extremely stoked about. Super proud to have worked with him. His comic Frank is like, like an all time for me. Yeah. So this was the record. I don't know. I, I never put this together, but when you go back and read the reviews, and I read a lot of reviews this week uh, of this record, it, they always bring up drum and bass. Like this was your drum and bass record yes. more so than the other. Why was that? What's, and, and was there any reason, now that you look back on it, that you, that's what you centered on that time around? Well, I mean, I, in, I guess, I'm not sure if it was 96 or 97, I had a girlfriend that uh, lived in London. So I was going out there all the time and going to uh, the Blue Note, which was a club on Hoxton Square when that, back in the day when that was a bit of a rough area. Uh, well, not that rough, but certainly rougher than it is now. And uh, there was a, it was almost like a matinee because it would start at 6 p.m. Uh, and it was Doc Scott and Goldie and Crust Spawn and Ronnie Size Spawn and just, it, it was uh, Groove Rider, uh, DJ Die. It was, it was all the top echelon of drum and bass DJs. Uh, had to play there at some point. It was it was de rigueur to go in and sort of kiss Goldie's ring, and uh, it's, it was also the first place that all the white labels came to. So anybody that made a track first took it to this one particular uh, mastering place, the Music House. Then from there, they would take the master to a record store, which I don't remember the name of the record store. And then if the people in the store reacted well to it, it would end up in the hands of one of the DJs that played uh, the Sunday night show at the Blue Note. Uh, so it was an incredible place to be. And, you know, it was like a real sort of world historical music scene, if I can be hyperbolic. Um, and I just wrote a lot of stuff on the dance floor. I just went and just sort of sang stuff to myself and then remembered it or recorded it somehow when I got home. But at the same time, I would say that you became a lot more melodic at this. You know, there's something about that dance floor that that maybe lends itself to to rhythm and beats. But but your vocals, there's there's a lot more singing that I remember. You know, on the first because the first two records, I mean, you all had such a unique style right out of the gate. But you know, a lot of what you were sure. doing was a bit more. What do you call that? I mean, talk singing. Or, I'm sure there's a better Shanty, term. Yeah. rappy, sort of the Fred Schneider realm of. Gazong. Seriously, I mean, like, like that's uh, that sounds glib, but Fred Schneider's a, a genius, man. But there was more singing on this, and maybe I don't know. Was that just a natural from being an artist for a little bit, uh, being more comfortable? I guess. I mean, I guess part of it was I just became a better singer because I was on the road all the time. But uh, it's hard to pinpoint. I mean, certainly there were commercial concerns commercial pressures uh because warner brothers had spent a fair amount of money on us and we had to give them something 
to justify uh, the hugeness of that expense. Not so much in, in terms of what ended up in our pockets as you know, what we spent on promotion and spent keeping us on the road. So it wasn't like that wasn't a concern, but uh, uh, you know, I probably got there organically at least in my memory i got there organically well you definitely fulfilled you know that promise of a of a hit i mean circles became from what i remember a very big hit uh inescapable uh, at a point yeah number 38 on the billboard charts which makes me officially a one-hit wonder which i'm very proud of <laughs> is that true because... very very proud yeah I mean, it's true it's uh, absolutely true so you can't even count super bonbon it's... as just being a classic nope. song no that's i mean it's Happy to hear that. Happy, you know, but look, rules are rules. It's top 40, got one in the top 40. You know, it could happen again, but, uh, you know, at least for the past 30 years, that is my only hit. You're in good company with, as they say, Jimi Hendrix and the Grateful Dead and a few guys yeah, oh, others. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, Circles is still such a great song, listening to that. It still sounds so right. unique, and especially with that guitar part. Is there a story with that guitar part? Because, you know, it's it's quirky, but it's it's iconic. I mean, well, thank you. You know, I mean, there's, there's sort of like kind of inside baseball stuff, like like the guitar was tuned to an open chord on the upper strings, but was tuned standard on the lower strings. But, uh, I mean, the, the story of that song is I kind of gave up for the, like, the first two-thirds of making that record. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to come in and lay stuff down and then get out of there. And that's when I started getting phone calls from the manager of the record company that was like, hey, man, write a hit. You're the guy. You got to do it. And I am super proud of that song. I I have, have never had a problem playing that song every night. Well, I, there was a while when I didn't play it at all. That was sort of a conscious choice to sort of forge new ground in my life. But I've always enjoyed that song. It's in my entire career, I find almost anything i've ever recorded difficult to listen to i'm i'm generally glad to hear that song three hundred dollars off eloso is an, is another one of the very few songs that i'll actually enjoy if i if i hear it come on somewhere so as far as like you know a one hit to be uh the source of your wondrousness i'm i'm stoked to have that one this will probably make you happy and piss off a lot of old soul coughing fans but uh two, no. two of the other songs on this record uh saint louis and uh and science you did end up re-recording uh, i much prefer the re-recorded versions to the oh, old uh, soul coughing version i appreciate it science was in fact oddly especially given sort of the format of like the, the two guitar chords was actually Mark Delantoni who really came in with the track, uh, and I wrote the lyric on top of it. You know, obviously there was like, uh, you know, there was, there was a fair amount of that in Soul Coughing, but that was sort of notable because it really is like kind of classic Doty style and is in fact a collaboration. You know, you'd said, um, you know, about sort of giving up about halfway through this. Was the end of the road clear? Could you see that this was the end of it? Was the writing on the wall? Oh, yeah. I mean, I really was, uh, I, I mean, I, I, look, I was just sort of giving up on life, period, um, you know, on a number of different levels. And, uh, you know, this, this funny thing happens when you're in a successful band, which is you don't realize why you became a successful band. And you think, like, all you have to do is just throw something out there and you'll go out on the road. And then somebody eventually reminds you, 
like, uh, hey, man, like it's because of that stuff you wrote. You know, you can't just put anything out there. You know, I think the classic story with that is Nirvana on In Utero when they made like a noise record with Steve Albini and somebody sat him down and was like, hey, man, uh, really, you're not a world historical inev- inevitability, <laughs> but uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit was like one of the greatest songs of all time and it was a big hit. So, <laughs> like, you know. And I, I, I think it happens to happen to a ton of bands around that time because they worked us so hard back then. You know, they just put you on the road for two years and, you know, people didn't have a chance to write and it was a very cynical environment, fashionable to be cynical at the time. Um, so it was like, like when I got that call from the record company that was like right ahead, it was a wake-up call in the extreme now how how soon did it end after this record i've read the book of drugs and i loved it but i don't quite remember when it all fell apart after this record uh i mean it was really sort of like major painkiller use was happening um during the making of that album we got a lot of migraines we got a prescription and then just sort of giving up on life and being like a morning heroin user was i don't know like six months after that record came out isn't that interesting, though? You know, here you've got the biggest hit of your life, and on one hand, the success is there, and everything else is gone, in a right. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what's funny is um, somebody, when I was making records with Dan Wilson, um, somebody was like, do you and Dan Wilson ever talk about how awesome 90, 1998 was? And I was like, no, we do not. <laughs> because that was uh, an incredibly difficult year for me and for dan wilson his child was born prematurely yeah while they were making that that album that was the big hit so his mind was constantly on his wife and his child and going to the hospital and you know so sometimes like the these big hits are not they're not reflective of the state of your life yeah it's um it's actually dan wilson is the one that kicked off this series this 98 series oh, is right? feeling strangely fun. He was my first one in the series. Yeah. And, and yeah. hearing about that. Yeah. It's uh and of course, you know, from the outside, you know, as, as we've always said, it all looks so sexy, mm-hmm. you know, it always looks right. so sexy. And when you look back, even at the, you know, all the promo shots and everybody's glamored up, I mean, 98 was such a bright color, color year. Everything was so bright, yeah. and bursty and day glow, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, yeah. The lenses are very rose colored. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, you know, you, have you have you heard of the color board? Uh, I don't know. The color board is this organization that predicts what colors are going to be big in the coming year, and they're like a research service, and you can pay a ton of money, and they will send you what colors they think <laughs> are going to be the big colors, right? Wow. Generally for fashion, but this this tends to apply over all art forms. Mm-hmm. In practice, they're really kind of deciding what the colors will be because everyone was like, oh my God, the color board is you know, all about burnt salmon, so we better make some burnt salmon <laughs> stuff. So that, that has a lot to do with why you look at all the music videos from a certain period of time and you know, there's a certain kind of color that is endemic to whatever period it is to this day. Yeah. The color Illuminati. It's real. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's 100% real. It is 100% real. Yeah. I was, um, well, I'll finish out on El Oso here. I was, I was reading someone's review and I think this was, um, 
a hindsight review that came later, but they were talking about the incumbent uh, closing out the record, yeah. and it was it was you saying goodbye to New York. <laughs> but if you yeah, think if I you think I moved back to like after recording that song, and by after I literally mean a week after. <laughs> well, you know, if you if you take the, the the wide scope, I mean, New York was so integral to how you all developed that sound, or at least First it seems time. like that. And so, to me, that was goodbye sure. to the band. You know, if new, goodbye New York, goodbye uh-huh. so coughing. It's sure, a, it's a boat. It was also, I mean, it was a it was a bad time in New York on a certain level because it was when Rudy Giuliani's cops were shutting down dance clubs and you know you would have some drunk person like like shimmy to a song at the bar and people would leap out and grab them and stop them from dancing because if an undercover cop saw that and there were undercover cops going to clubs looking for these infractions like your your business would be done so that was an extremely depressing aspect of, of New York at the time. Now, I just read a lot about that in the Meet Me in the Bathroom book, because, of course, it starts there. It starts mm-hmm. around that, that era yeah. and everything, yeah. It was really, um, it, it was stunning. And it's, especially if you look back at that time and all the amazing, iconic movements of dance music that happened all around the world. And New York kind of doesn't have one. I mean, there are certain DJs who did great in, basically, in London, um, or in Los Angeles or San Francisco, but there's no iconic genre that came from New York during that period of time, and I think that's actually really sad. Yeah, that's of course how that book starts. It just talking about how because it was sort of a, a musical wasteland in in some sense, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, yeah. it, it let it paved the way for this this sort of rock thing to come out from below, which yeah. rock yeah, with a dance totally. beat. Yeah. Well, let's uh, yep. spin the wheel, jump back in the time machine, head up to 2008 when <laughs> Golden Delicious yeah. comes out. It is one of my favorites of your well, solo. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Well, first off, l- l- let me let me take the broad one on this. H- how does this record look to you now, 10 years back? Oh, I mean, it's recent enough that it sounds terrible to me. I mean, really, like, there's, a, there's about a 15-year mark at which I can listen to something and go, well, I hear what I was trying to do. But it's, you know, like within the first year of something, I'm like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing. I'm so stoked that I made this. And then after that year, Mark, I, you know, I <laughs> suddenly it sounds horrible to me and I'm like afraid of it. But it was a super fun record to make. Staying at Dan Wilson's house, which is a blast in Minnesota, um, Minneapolis, fabulous town to spend extended periods of time in. There was a going theory on the album which was dude theory um which sadly i talked about that in public and then what's my dog whining people would um there'd be like pieces about it and be like jody wanted to make this record that just sounded like dude and i was like no (laughs) basically the the idea was rather than doing a thing where there were layered sort of wall or sound wall of sound guitars you would hear um, a certain instrument and you'd be able to identify it as a musician. You know, each part was a person and, you know, obviously there were a number of musicians playing a number of different parts, but the, like, for instance, the vocals weren't layered. There was a backing vocalist rather than me doubling the vocal. And, you know, the rhythm guitar part was a specific part as opposed to, you know, we'll record it on a Telecaster and then we'll put, this Martin acoustic behind it and blend them in. And the idea was you're supposed to 
hear that record and visualize a person on the stage for each sound. So I kept playing it back and I would go, I, you know, I would turn it down and go, who's that dude? Who's the dude? And he'd be like, oh, I don't know who the dude is. I was like, all right, the dude's a keyboard player, you know, and there'd be like, like the, the keyboard player would do like two synth parts. It'd be like, you know what? It doesn't sound like a dude. It sounds like, sounds like a multi dude, like yeah. a non-real dude. So he's got to do that on a, you know, like a piano or a different instrument that will sound like a different element in space and time. Uh, the solos are really good on that, especially those uh, those synth and, and keyboard solos. Yes, John Kirby. Especially the solo, the solo on 27 Jennifer, which I think is hilarious. Yeah. And I was stunned to read reviews that thought it was it was not, one hesitates to say ironic, but not ironic. Because, you know, it's like that kind of weedly, weedly Eddie Van Halen sound, yeah. which he just did, and I just couldn't stop laughing. And I was like, oh, my God, that's on, that's on the record. Well, the critics were not completely kind. No, I mean, more than that, the fans were not kind. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like, like people were really... I mean, there was... Like, there's somebody that's walked up to me and been like, you know, the last thing you did is better. Beginning with when I put Soul Coffin together, and I was like an acoustic, kind of anti-folk, punky guy, with a, you know, wandered around with a battered old Yamaha acoustic... I remember a friend of mine coming to a Soul Coughing show, and then I was like, what'd you think? And she'd be like, well, you know, uh, it was good, but uh, yeah, I really kind of liked your music thing. Then, you know, there was uh, Soul Coughing had a had like kind of this super hardcore group of fans in New York. And then when the album came out, everyone was like, you know, the album is not as good as the shows. So my entire life, like the last thing that came out is people are like well you know the thing before it so it was uh, like i really took it to heart this time um especially like the word dude getting around Uh people sort of not understanding that but what are you gonna do um like is one of my favorite things i've ever done luminous girl Mm -hmm. um there's there's a bunch of things that um that i i just think are fabulous to this day i mean you know especially looking back on that and and i think it's all i know it's all changed now but especially when you had more of the the uh the snobby blogs the hipstery sites and stuff like that they really centered in on that ato thing being owned by dave matthews and with you splashing yes. the word dude around, suddenly you've got a bro thing. Yeah, yes. right. Yes, suddenly I got a bro thing, which like, you know, end of the day, like it, it doesn't it doesn't matter as long as somebody's hearing the record. Yeah. As long as it's getting to the person who loves the record, I don't care. Yeah. And look, I've I've been critically acclaimed and I've had hit records and the latter is definitely more fun. What's well, I mean, so hottie melodic, that had been a pretty good solo hit right there. And, and I, I, I know oh, we're not yeah. talking on the sense of, as you say, circles being a top 40 hit or anything, but that was a, that was a really strong hit uh, solo record. Oh yeah. Yeah. And people, people were sort of shocked by it. <laughs> um, there were, there were so many people that did not want to put the record out that, um, you know, I just remember, cause I made, it took like three years to make it to Dan Wilson. Cause it, you know, would just get time with him whenever he had it. And, you know, we would go to labels and they'd be like, I don't know, I don't get it. So when it did came, come out, it was it was something I was really, really proud of. And then, you know, so this is sort of like that you've proved yourself. You are a solo artist. You 
are everything that you said told everyone that you were, and now this is the next record. <laughs> it seems like it's yeah. always stacked against you somehow, and against every artist who goes through a similar thing, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you have a career, like this is having a career is people hating the last thing you did, you know, and they either hate it because you have changed or they hate it because they're like, oh, you stagnated, man. You're just making the same thing over and over again. But, you know, you can't win. Well, it must have been nice when Sad Man, Happy Man came out because everyone would say they like Golden Delicious better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Vindication is always just around the corner. Yeah. I wonder, you know, so, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here. Hottie Melodic, you know, it, it does sound like, I love the songs on Hottie Melodic. It, it also sounds yeah. like that you're purposely trying to get away from the sound that, you know, Soul Coffee was there. It's, it's more guitar-based, it's more uh, folk-based in, in some parts. But when I listen to Golden Delicious, it sounds like this is where you start to make up with your past a little bit. Like, you get to a track like uh, More Bacon Than The Pen yeah. Can Handle. You know, that's like, did it, did it feel like that? Were you were you Absolutely. making up with your past a little bit? On those two records, on Golden and Haughty, I was really just in the weeds with Dan Wilson. And it was just what Dan was interested in, what I was interested in. There wasn't a whole lot of level of macro thought. Um, Dan and I argued a lot about bridges because he essentially came from the Beatles, mm-hmm. and I came from you know sort of like the James Brown line down through hip hop of you know I'm cool if it's one chord for six minutes. <laughs> I'm great with that. One chord, one beat, just fine with that. And he would be like, right, well, "You need a bridge, man. It's been going on for two and a half minutes." Has um, anybody seen the bridge? Yeah, exactly. Yes, he saw it everywhere. Bridges, bridges on every corner. So yeah, I mean, like it, it, reflecting on it, it's um, I, I can't really look at it and go, oh, this is what I was trying to do. You know, I can think about like what I brought into Dan, what he reacted to. It was very present tense making both of those records. Well, Twenty Seven Jennifer's, you know. Uh, totally a classic, a fun song. Fort Hood sounds yeah. great to listen to. Uh, I, I think my favorite to the, the week that record came out to this day on that is "Put It Down." I, I jam out on that oh, on cool. a Saturday, and it's so much fun. You know, when we recorded that song, so I wrote I wrote the um, the lyrics walking around Millennium Park in Chicago on a cold day. Just I, I had the riff, and I was just walking around, and I sort of wrote it in my head. And uh, so we. You know, like a week later, I'm in Minneapolis, I'm in the studio, we did the first take of that song, and it finished, and I was about to get on the on the mic, you know, I'm in a booth somewhere separated from everyone else, and just go, well, that was, uh, yeah, that was terrible, obviously, I guess we can move on to whatever the next song is, because that was, this is a complete failure, and then <laughs> immediately everyone was like, oh my god, that's great! And I was like, all right, I guess uh, I guess I'm not terrible, and I guess I, we will be finishing this <laughs> It's so fun. It really is. And the wordplay, just I how it, it flows. I, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of it now. It's just like like the moment it was recorded, I was like, nope, well, everyone hates that, and sorry that I took their evening away from them <laughs> recording this song. All right, back in the machine, and we're head back to present day, because um, I know Ooh. you've been busy uh and the thing is it's you're you're busy in the private public eye is the way to say that because out here you know it it looks like always between album cycles one day Dodie will have another record 
But you release music right. constantly, right? Every week there's a new song. And I've been putting up sketches and little instrumentals I write and little fragments. And it's all on Patreon, which is a large portion of uh, my income these days. And it's like 700 people. Yeah. That pledge monthly. They, you know, they're like the the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. And they want to hear the new weird stuff every week. Um, I love doing it because I love lo-fi stuff. The new iPhone is an incredible lo-fi recording device, um, partially because they have this pitch, pitch correction thing, pitch correction feature, you know, sort of like an auto-tune feature mm-hmm. that I'm sure they thought like, oh man, everyone's going to use this to make these great sort of pop vocals. But really, I just sort of crank it about halfway and it makes the whole recording warble. <sighs> and get like a little bit dissonant it sounds like a like a dying tape recorder you know so once again i mean the story of musical technology is you know the inventors bring something into the musicians and they're like this will perfectly simulate the saxophone and then the musicians sit there making weird noises <laughs> with it. so like it's i love just writing stuff and recording it on that and putting out the same day i mean it reminds me of uh of that those peak drum and bass years when you know somebody would do something in their studio and walk over to that uh mastering place and you know a week later they'd be playing it sunday night at the blue note now with these songs is it sort of the plan like eventually you'll notice a dozen that you'll say is that an album or do you still keep the album sort of separate of all of this i don't know i mean somebody who actually works at a pretty big label was like you know you should record for a label which was code for you should send us some stuff, which was code for you should send us some stuff that sounds like haughty melodic, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, <laughs> and I, I was like, I was like, Whoa, that's really cool. And then I was like, wait, is that cool? Like, like I can't do this and be on a label. Can I, and this is really great. And not incidentally, like I make money doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've, I've long been the man running my own candy store, which is not great. You know, um, financially is sometimes good, sometimes not good, but I hate having to think about the stuff that otherwise you could just rely on a record company to take care of. Like I need art for the single or I need to make video or whatever it is. And there would be just a, a lot less work. So that part's attractive, but man, this process is so good. I mean, I would love to make a record that like I work as a real record and go out and shill it to radio stations and press outlets and blogs and et cetera. Uh, but, you know, the only thing available is a song or two uh, on Spotify and Apple Music. And uh, the rest you got to be a, a Patreon member to, to get. Which, I mean, it's it's great that you found that. I, I've talked to a few, art- a few other artists who've, who found the similar things out there. I mean, a way to survive, you know, in, in a moment where everyone is trying to figure that out, how to survive. You're just, I'm not saying you're sitting back because obviously you're not. It's not like you're relaxing through this, but at the same time, you seem to have found what works for you, which is, which is fantastic. Oh yeah. I mean, no, it, look, it's hard work. Like writing a song every week is not easy. And the, the irony of the process is the songs that are, that are very difficult in process tend not to be, the best ones, mm-hmm. the best ones 
I, I just sort of write in an instant and they get put up there. And so then I'll think, okay, well, you know, so yeah, the deal is like, I won't work super hard and, you know, and I'll just do the ones that come easy. But if you do that, then the ones that come easy aren't as good. So, you know, there's like mental trickery in getting up every morning and playing the guitar and working hard on something. And But it's all, you know, it, it all is sort of working towards that thing that, that, that just comes out effortlessly. Have you ever thought about doing a show just for your subscribers that uh, only plays the deep, deep, deep stuff that you're putting out there? I have. I mean, there, like, there's always somebody in front yelling something from 2003 that was like on the day trotter for a week, which I I love, but I never remember those songs. I got to play something live twice at least to have a working, functioning, playable memory of it. <laughs> What's is it worth asking if there's sort of like, you know, we were talking about LOSO you being in a drum and bass, is there anything that uh sort of threads all this together right now like that? Well, I mean, I'm writing a lot of bass lines. You know, it's fine. I will actually tell you this. I have not told anybody this, but I went to Soul Coughing and was like, I'm writing a record that sounds like Soul Coughing. Do you want to do it? And it turns out that Soul Coughing is still crazy go nuts in a huge way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it just, it's like an amazing way. And I was like, man, it's 1999 again. Oh. Like, it really is just like, you know, uh, I've just been writing all these bass lines and writing rhymes and all this stuff. And it's just like, I don't want to get into the details of what the conversations are like, but it's like, dude, you're like 60. Like what is going on? Right. Like let's, you know, it's, it's just weird. So I don't know, maybe coming down the pike is the album that could have been a soul coughing album. But I don't. I don't. I don't want to commit to that because it's really about half written. No, I. You know, I never need a band to reunite in my life. I, I feel like some people yeah. feel that, but it's a little sad. I'm a little sad to hear that because it just would have been fun. Oh, it's, it's you know, super sad. I mean, it was really like like I was sort of expecting it to fall apart further in the process. Like, I, I, I was like, this is probably not going to happen, but there'll be, like, some phone calls and, you know, whatever. But it was just, like, instantly crazy city, you know. And I wanted to, like, make a piece of of, of real art, you know. Like, I, you know, like, I may do a tour playing Ruby's Room. It won't be with Solkoffing because Solkoffing is nuts. Um, so, sorry, Coachella and Bonnaroo, thanks for the offers. But Do you, do you get the offers? I know, I know a lot of offers are out there. Yes. I mean, we get, like, kind of the phone call before the offer. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, it's us over at Bonnaroo. What's going on? We're just in the neighborhood. Want to say hi. <laughs> you know. So, you know, like, that's a thing. But, like, I, I mean, it's just, you know. And I'm shocked to say that, that I, I was kind of open to it for a minute. But, like. It's just nuts getting in that situation. It's just, like, beyond nuts. Well, I guess it's nice to know that some things never change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For better and worse. Yeah, when everything's upside down yeah. these days, you know, you've, you've, got, yeah. uh, you've got that we can count on. That soul coughing is still yeah. a crazy entity. <laughs> I know. It was, it was like, really? Like, like, what else are you doing? Like, what else are you doing with your days? 
This would be so easy. Yeah. Just show up and play the thing. And it was it was incredible. It was just I, I you know, I, I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. So one of the first guys that I got in touch with in Soul Coughing was Sebastian, Sebastian Steinberg, the bass player, who had an amazing career. He's an incredible player. And you put him in any situation and he just makes it sound better. He's just super great. Like I'm doing great with that guy. I mean, all, which is kind of the weirdest of all the relationships in soul coughing. And it just, it just has to be said that like, he, he's just an incredible, incredible player. As far as, you know, outside, obviously of you, the most integral part uh, that I can always hear was his upper yeah. bass, you know, that, that was him. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, uh, look, it's, um, I, Andrew Scrap Livingston has been my bass player for years. I'm in love with him. Mm-hmm. You know, like I envision us as like a Duke Ellington, Billy Strayhorn kind of love match in heaven musically. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm ever going to play with Sebastian again, but I just, it's, I, you know, a soul clothing fan will be shocked that I'm on good terms with Sebastian it will not be shocked to hear that, like, he plays with a ton of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was doing – he was Instagramming something from the Wilco Loft, and, you know, he just – with John Bryan, and he plays with incredible people, and it just it, – he, he's just – he's a phenomenon. Well, he needs to play with Mike Doty at some point if, for, for <laughs> something one more time. It was a – It might be – I mean, I, I'm doing – so the, another thing I'm doing is I have a band with Wayne Kramer. Wow. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's called By Rocket. And uh, we just finished uh, four songs, which may or may not be an EP. And, you know, we got to figure out there's somebody that's going to put it out. And, like, you know, legally that would mean I'm beholden to whatever label put that out. So there's all kinds of stuff involved. But that is, like, a joy. It's incredible working with that guy. And uh, we, we – we, He's in L.A., and I went out to L.A. to do a session. Uh, Brendan Canty flew out to play drums, which was phenomenal. Um, he's from Fugazi, if, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. if I needed to mention that to you, of all people. But um, he's also, like, he's got four kids, and he's, like, the constant, like, groovy dad with four kids in college. Like, it's, it's kind of amazing because I was such a Fugazi fan to, to know him. But so I said to Wayne, I was like, you know, Sebastian lives in L.A., let's get Sebastian. And Wayne was like, you know, I read your book, (laughs) and I'm not saying that it's necessarily a bad thing, but maybe your first musical interaction (laughs) with Sebastian of all time, maybe I don't want to be the one to roll the dice and have that on my project. Uh, You know, I mean, he's not so wrong, I mean... Looking back at that book, you wouldn't even say any of them by name. You would not, you, you know. Oh, look, the reason is the, the pseudonyms I came up with were just terrible. And I would look at some dumbass pseudonym in the book and, like, these are kind of elemental figures in my life. And what else? I mean, like, I, the, I'm really um, embarrassed by some of the pseudonyms. I, I have a friend. Rachel Murdy, she was the voice of Janine, uh, and she's a friend of mine, and she hates the pseudonym I came up uh, with for her. And she just, she's like, we'll be hanging out, and she'll just sort of look at me and say this name. <laughs> like, I can't believe you. Go. You know, so 
I mean, my next book, I hope to not use anybody's name and refer to people as, you know, the playwright or the chef or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, the CIA assassin or whatever their, their job is. So I, I think that came off as a, as a thing that was way more resentful than it actually uh, was. Uh, I see. Yeah, it did to me. So that's, it's nice that that's cleared up because that does change quite a bit. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I could, I could see it, but really it was just like, you know, what I, it was like it's like mom and dad. It's mm-hmm. like what what am I going to come up with a pseudonym for mom? You know, like these are like elemental figures in my life. Yeah, that's that's uh, seriously cool to know. Um, who knows? You know, we'll put this out there and maybe uh, maybe something will come around. Well, I mean, you know, I'm playing with Sebastian. I bet that's going to happen someday. But it's just like it's just wearying having <laughs> conversations, and it's like, can we just? Just like pretend we're different people and just have a an adult thing and you know like I've got a let, let's just pretend that we're old people that want to cash in on soul coffee right <laughs> and then like through a side door we'll make great art like let's just do something that's not that's not involved in this Michigas you know whatever but that's that that, that that's all really cool and especially the Wayne Kramer stuff uh, it's really exciting I, I'm looking forward to hearing that it's. It's really good. I'm shocked how good it is. Because I was really just like, I met him and I was just like, like just being, you know, just throwing caution to the wind. And he was like, oh, yeah. Totally. So, yeah. You had this awesome moment at Wayne's 70th birthday. This is like super name droppy, but it was so weird and cool that it was like telling Tom Morello about the band I'm in with Wayne Kramer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, dude, that is some some rock and roll ass Hollywood shit right there. Well, he's got uh, for the uh, anniversary for the MC5 band. I mean, he's got like everybody in that band with him right now, right? It's like Kim Thayhill's in the band, and yeah. God, I don't even remember yep. the whole lineup. And Brendan's but... in the band. Okay, so he's actually uh, drumming in that band, band too. Yeah, Don Don was is playing bass. Yeah, I mean, everybody jumped at the chance. Yeah, why would you do that? Also, like Wayne's like Wayne's like a jazz guy. He's like a Sun Ra out like really interesting guy musically so i think when rock guys play with him they really feel like he's kind of expanding their thing and and getting them into territory that you know even if they're in legendary bands they they haven't done that kind of thing before you think they rock paper scissors every night to see who gets to scream out kick out the jams motherfucker (laughs) no i think i think wayne gets to do that every night (laughs) i think wayne being being a rock and roll living legend I think he wins that argument. I don't want to. I don't want to boil his whole career down to one line. It's just a great line. It is. It's the best line. Yeah. It's the best line. Yeah. I'll always look forward to that next record, whatever that might be. Uh, in the meantime, it sounds like I need to become a damn subscriber if I'm going to get my Doty fix anytime yeah, soon. Yeah. So I know. I mean, <laughs> I, I imagine sometime in the next year to five years, I'll put out a, an album. Album. Mm. But I don't know. This this thing is working for me, and better than i expected to be totally honest yeah can't knock that not at all yeah well thanks indeed. man this has been a lot of fun i really do appreciate you letting me uh nerd nerd boy fanboy out on all this absolutely thanks kyle i'm, I'm sorry real quick uh, my, my wife was waving at me because she told me to tell you hi oh. and to tell your dog hi and she said the name and i lunchy lunchy she, she said tell my... mike hi and tell lunchy hi he's at my feet right now examining a stick <laughs> there you go So I've done my due diligence. We're good.
Yeah. All right, buddy. All right, I'll, talk I'll talk to you talk later. Right, Mike. And thanks to Mr. Mike Doty for giving me that call right there. Really looking forward to all the upcoming music he's got on the way. Hey, don't forget you can subscribe to Consequence of Sound's YouTube channel to keep up with your favorite artists and interviews. And uh, and also, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, maybe at iTunes, Podchaser, wherever you're listening from, please do hit that subscribe button and give us a rating and a review while you're at it. And then, of course, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern. And you can also find some bonus episodes of this interview series over there. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.